Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. Welcome back to Andy Raymond Unfiltered, The Natural, The Brett Kenny Story. Previously, we spoke about the early years, the mentors and the magic. The story continues. Three grand finals. You've got the distinction of scoring two tries in each of those grand finals. It's a feat that won't be repeated. I think I can say that confidently. How special is that to have your name in in the history books linked with such a stat? Yeah, it is. It, it, well, it's good. I mean, it, it's probably something you don't think about too much. That someone might bring it up and you go, "Oh, yeah, well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I did." You know, and I do remember after the '82 Grand Final, people were saying to me, "Did you go out there looking to score two yep. tries?" And I said, "Well, no. You, you know, you, it's you're nice to score tries, but yep. you just sort of play your game. And if you're in the right position at the right time, you might be lucky to come up and with a try. You know, and I was fortunate enough to be in the right position on a couple of occasions and. And score two tries. I think you're being humble there. I don't think right position is accurately the (laughs) description. I think bamboozling defence is a better description. Does one of those six tries stand out above the others? Uh, Well, yes. Um, I think obviously I think a lot of people would probably agree it's the same for them as the the last try scored against Newtown where it's either dummy. um, Down the sideline. Down the sideline. I think everyone sort of remembers it and – and uh, it, it was funny thing. It was I watched the game at the time. I had the ball in my hands, and I was thinking that Eric Grace was inside me, but didn't realise. Typical Eric, he was still hanging back. <laughs> um, I actually had I think Steve Ella was inside me, and Eric was mm. back inside him. Um, and I thought, got the ball in my hand. Saw Phil Sigsworth there at fullback. I thought to myself, okay. I'll have a shot at this. Yep. And if I don't, if he doesn't fall for it, I believe, I believed at the time, I had plenty of time to then offload the pass. Yep. When I saw it in a replay, realised that if he doesn't fall for it, we're not talking about that second try that I scored, um, he would have tackled me. Mm. So I was a bit lucky in a way that he did fall for it. But um, yeah, it was just was one of those things and, and uh, it was, was good to. Score the try. I wasn't thinking about, oh, well, that's the second try I scored. I was actually, to be honest with you, I was glad I got to the try line. John Ferguson was coming from the other wing and I'd, I'd had enough by the time I got there. I thought, that'll do me. And I think Eric ended up pulling me up off the ground. <laughs> I was a bit tired. But, um, yeah, it was, that's the try that probably sticks in my mind most out of all of them. The core of the side, we'll go through some of them. I'd love your thoughts on these teammates, if there's something that stands out about them as a player as a person or a story, Eric Growth. Oh, look, one of the lowest players I've ever seen. He, he um, <laughs> no, he's, a, he's a good bloke, Eric. He was actually the best man at my my wedding, my yep. first uh, first wife, and and um, great mates. And um, you look at him and, and you watch him. He's just a magnificent player. And yep. um, I, I honestly believe that we. We've never really seen how fast Eric could run. To me, he only ever ran as quick as he thought he had to. Was he quicker chasing a player than he was in open spaces? Because he, he knew how fast he had to be to get the player. Yeah, well, look, that's 
That's not a bad statement. You, well, I wouldn't, I would never have thought of that. Mm. But yeah, it's probably the, the the case. I mean, as you say, when he makes a break and there's no one in front of him, he doesn't sort of bust his dirt box to yeah. get there, you know. And but I remember we'd have sprint training, and 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 uh, that, that there was myself, Neil Hunt, Steve Ella, um, a young guy from reserve grade, Brett Garnon. Yes. So we were, we were all pretty quick. Yep. And you know, we would have been twenty, twenty one years of age. Mm. And at the end of the sprint training, the session, we'd, we'd have uh, Jesse Komorowski was our sprint trainer. He'd say, righto, we'll just have a flat, just a race. Yep. Straight out race. Start properly, you know, and um, away we go. So off, he, he, you know, we just, because ready, set, go, and we take off. And, you know, look, we're all going as quiet, as quick as we could. could and, yep. and then you look to your right, and here was Eric looking at us. And then he just sort of thought, well, we're getting close now, older, and just beat us by two or three meters. <laughs> really? Thought, How the hell does he yeah. do that? And then, and you know, for a man that his size and yep. to be able to run as fast as he could, it, it was just just amazing. And I mean, people that have seen him play could see the damage he used to yep. do to the opposition. I don't know whether he could play in today's game. He, he wasn't one for jumping in the air and scoring no. tries. He was just he'd rather take the shortcut and just run over the top of you. Yep. But um, yeah, dynamic winger and and um, you know and off the field a, a great bloke that you'd want to be with. He, you have a lot of fun with him yeah. and and that and um, yeah, he's just but a magnificent rugby league winger. What about the great Mick Cronin? Well, what can you say? I mean, he, he's is it one of the greats? And yeah. and uh, as I mentioned before, he he helped me a lot in 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 uh, my first grade or first year of first grade and. Um, he was one of those guys. I remember watching Mick play when I was a young bloke, and he was playing in the centres with Steve Rogers for Australia. And and I always believed that the perfect centre was someone that was as big and strong as Mick Cronin, but as agile as Steve Rogers. Yeah, you know, great and, combination. Yeah, and 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 um, the Crow is a very humble man. You, yes. you just don't hear him talk too much about himself and. Um, but he was a great player to have, and and I think all of us guys that played around him, mm. whether it be inside him, outside him, behind him, all realised just how great a player he was, and and how big an influence he had on our careers. And and for me, I believe that I was able to achieve what I achieved in mm. the game because of the early start I had playing outside Mick Cronin. Was he a good leader of men? Oh yeah, yeah, you know and. Um, he never got too carried away with things. Yep. Um, he was he he was very sensible with things he used to say. Um, never got too excited, and um, you know he he was very calm with a lot of things, and 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 I think that was a good thing for us guys, uh, yeah. us being young and and um, being very I guess immature when it came to playing first grade rugby league, to have someone like McCronin around and. Um, looking after you, he was he was like the conductor of an orchestra. He would just say, "You go here, you go there," and we were like little pups going, "Yep, okay, where do you want me?" And, yeah, and he'd tell you where to go, and off we'd go and do it. What about Steve Edge? Oh, look, Edge he, he was a was a great captain. A lot of people might say he, you know, he, he probably wasn't the greatest hooker in the world, mm. but um, I think for what he might have lacked in um, some ability in some areas. He he was a great captain, and and again he was a guy that was very calm, and um, 
knew what we had to do, made sure you did your job properly. Yep. Um, I mean, he, he was no bum of a hooker. I mean, he no. played for New South Wales and um, so he was he was very good, you know, that way. Yep. And probably, you know, didn't play for Australia and that's probably why people think, oh, he wasn't that, that good. But he was um, – he was a great captain and, and um, the type of guy that just, again, kept everyone together on the football field. And there were instances in the game where I know myself, I was sort of panicking and thinking, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? You know, and he'd be there saying, righto, do this, do that. Um, I remember Sturlo saying one day we, we had a game and Sturlo, we were kicking for touch. McCrone was kicking for touch. We were working out what tap we are going to do and Sturlo's called a certain play and Edgy said no. I'm not doing that. This is what we're doing. So I said, yeah, but no, this is what we're doing. Wow. We scored off that play. And Sterlow said from there on in, he never questioned anything that Edgy wanted to do. And he was just that type of player. He he knew his players. He knew what we, what we were capable of. And, and um, But he was a, a guy that was very calm and, and, and an ideal captain to have in the, in the team. What about this guy? I've got two points about him. I think the most underrated footballer that I've seen, and I also think he'd be the most effective under the new rules, the zip-zip man, Stevie Ellis. Oh, yes. Yeah, look, you know, you, when you consider, like, if you go back and think about his career and, and how he injured his knee, and, and I didn't know much about him. He missed 18 months of football, football. after his first or second game. Yeah, I remember him telling me the story where he played under-18s for New South Wales yep. and Jack Gibson was the coach. And he said that's the reason he got brought back into first grade when Jack took over because Zip missed the 1980 season yep. uh, and part of the 79 season um, and his knee was just an absolute mess and they, and, and they thought he'd never play again. Yeah. Um, and it was Jack took over in 81 and, and he knew of Steve Ella, knew yeah. what he could do. Um Put him in reserve grade. He started started reserve grade, then was taken off. He couldn't work out why because he was then sat on the bench in first grade, put straight back into first grade, wow. and from there on in, that was it. Stayed there, and but he was a great player, and and a lot of people don't realise he was never a great, a big, huge sort of player. No, what would have, what would have Zip been? Eighty two kilos, probably wet, probably eighty two, yeah, yeah, if that, and um, a great defender. Yep, and 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 one of the and you know. Quite quick, but yes. probably not as quick as Eric. We were, none of us were as quick as Eric. But would have there been anyone quicker over the first ten or fifteen oh, meters no. than Zippy? No. Yeah. And and the thing about it too is, you know, they talk about guys. You look at blokes like Brad Fittler who had a sidestep, and yep. you say how good he was with his sidestep. But even Freddie had to slow down a bit yeah. and then step. Zip never did. He could run full speed and step, and not a problem. And I remember a game at Belmore Sports Ground. We played Manly. Paul Vorton was actually standing behind the defensive line. He must have been having a breather or something. Yeah. And Zips picked the ball up from dummy half and taken off, got through a hole, and he stepped Paul Vorton at speed and Paul Vorton fell over trying to keep up with him, really? try to read it. He actually fell over because Zips stepped that quick. And he was also a very good hole runner. Yeah. And, you know, you could – and playing at 5-8, it was great to have him out there knowing that if I can get across – and sort of look at a hole and see it, he would always be there. And you just pop the pass and away he'd go. Um, you know, it was just – and as you say, in today's game, I'd kill it. Yeah, he you would. Know, and these guys wouldn't know how to defend against it. Hey, legends, the footy is back. Here's my first tip of the season. Make it personal. 
your name, your number on your jersey. Official licensed NRL jerseys, retros, polos and training shirts all in the one place. For the hard-running man, the cover-defending woman and the chirpy little ones that remind you of an out-of-control halfback. For an exclusively unfiltered deal, go to yourjersey.com.au forward slash Andy and put Andy in as your coupon code to get a free gift at checkout. Gear up, legends. What about the leader of the pack in your early years, Bobber the Bear O'Reilly? Leader of the pack on the field and at the bar. Yes, he was a, he was a great bloke to have around, yeah. you know. And I, I love Bobber O'Reilly. He, he, you know, he, he was he came back and, and played in 1981 and, yep. he, I mean, the, the story is he wasn't that keen to play and Jack convinced him to come back and he won a competition. But And, again, he, he was one of those senior guys that, you know, kept us all mm. – um, you know, level-headed, and he'd, he'd love to have a bit of a laugh and, and and a joke and that. But you know, you knew when he was serious. And mm. and and um, the other thing was, I, I think that, that sort of got me a bit was in 1981 in the grand final at half time we were behind and we weren't going all that well. And and um, the bear got up and and had a bit of a chat. And this was after Steve Edge had said something. Ray Price had. Blasted everyone. Mick Cronin came in and calmed everything down again. And then the bear got up and said, Look, you know, this is the first grand final I've ever played in. If you're going to win it for someone, you want to win it for me. And he had like a bit of a tear in his eye. And I'm sitting there thinking, Yeah, you know, it would yeah. be for him. It'd be nice to be able to win it. And we went out there at just after half time and there was a scrum. And you might remember Tom Redonick has scored from the scrum. Yes. And uh, we're standing behind the line. I won't use the exact words that we use, but something along the lines of stuff winning it for the bear. How about we win it for ourselves? You know, so yeah. that's all, <laughs> and that's what we did. But, yeah, he was he was a, a great player and, yep. and a good ball distributor and um, a lot, you know, out of the, the Arthur Beetson mould and and just a, a, a great guy to have around the place. As I said, loved to have a bit of fun and, and everything, but, um, you know, it was – when you needed to be serious, he knew when to be serious. And if he was serious with you, you knew you listened. You didn't try and not listen to what he had to say. Speaking of serious, speaking of cranky at times, brutally tough, you lock forward Ray Price. <laughs> yeah. so they still reckon he gets angry, you know. He, he would. He, but he um, – oh, he's a great player. And he was one of those – when he was captain, you know, he was one of those guys that would lead by example. Yep. And, um it used to amaze me how he could do what he did in a game of rugby yeah. league and, and continue doing it for 80 minutes of football. And you did, the things that you didn't see as players and also, I guess, the fans was the amount of work he did away from the football field yep. on injuries. And, um, you know, you'd see him one weekend, you see him in the dressing room, you think, yeah, he's going to be struggling, he won't be able to train Tuesday night. And Tuesday night was always a physical night, so you'd, if you had any excuse to get out of it, That's you'd use right, it. yeah. But um, – Sure enough, he'd be back training again on the Tuesday night and, and you didn't, you know, until he actually sat down and spoke mm. to you about what he did, you'd realise then the amount of work he did at home and there were times when he'd go home on a Sunday night and he wouldn't get to bed till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning because he was up icing whatever injury he had. Then he'd go back to sleep, trying to get back to sleep and couldn't sleep, so then he'd ice it again. And he knew he, if he did fall asleep, he had an alarm going off every mm. two or three hours to, to icy injuries and that, but he was just a phenomenal player and um, 
you know, when, and when, as I said, when he took over the captaincy, and I think it was 1983, 84, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just led by example and and uh, just one of those just tough guys, just keep going all the time. It's amazing how the game changes because Ray Price was under six foot. He was well under 90 kilos. The modern-day lock forward is six foot three, <laughs> 105 kilos, but there were none better than Ray Price and beyond him, Wayne Pearce, who physically wasn't a big guy either. No, compared to nowadays. compared to what they do yeah. nowadays, you know. And but I, I look, I, I honestly believe that if those guys, Wayne Pearce and and Ray Price, were playing today and did the training, yeah, they would be as big and but just as good as what they yes, were back in I the eighties. I really struggle with comparing eras. Who is the best? But I think the elite level would be good in any era. Yeah, that's what I look at. Yeah. I, I think, you know, you, you've got to look at the different areas and say, well, what did they do? Like yep. th- things have changed a lot. Like, like even in, in the 80s, we started doing weight training under Jack Gibson, mm. but it was only once or maybe twice a week during the off se- uh, in the off-season, yeah. pre-season. Now they do it three or four times a week all year. 12 months of the year, but yeah. And you go back to the 70s and 60s and, you know, they never did any really weight training no. or anything like that. So to me, the guys that were – you know, at the top of their game in the in the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, would still be the elite player in today's game. I agree. Now, I think I've saved the best to last. Your halves partner and, and your good mate Peter Sterling. Oh, look, he he was without doubt. I've always said he's been the greatest halfback I've ever played with. Yep. And, and and look, I I think too probably the longevity was the thing playing with him at yep. at club level. You know, play week in week out. Um, Obviously, is an, is another thing that that helps you. You, you mm. play some rep football. I mean, I played with some great halfbacks: Steve Mortimer, Mark Murray. Um, you know, these guys were great players, and but I've only played with them at rep, rep, representative level. Yep. Sterling, I've played at club level and representative level. Um, played against him a couple of times in city country, and then obviously um, the over in England, Cup, the yeah. Challenge Cup, and and you could see what he did. He almost won the game for mm. them. For Hull and and uh, you know it, it, he was just phenomenal. I, I just it's the things he could do in in a, in a game of rugby league, and they talk about Andrew Johns and you know being a great player and becoming an immortal, and and I think geez, you know, very hard to go past Peter Sterling, yeah. you know, not being an immortal, and um, you know he he had everything. I guess the only yep. thing he didn't do was kick goals and. Realistically, you didn't have to. Like we had Mick Crown and Steve Ella could yeah, kick goals. That's right. and people used to talk about me not having a kicking game in general play, and I said, "Well, I didn't have to." I had Peter Sterling, Mick Crown, and Steve Ella, who we didn't all want to have to kick and stand back and watch. We all, yep. you know, one of us had the chase, and that was me. But but Sterling, yeah, he like I, there were games where I'd make a tackle and I'd get up and I'd slip back to the short side to have a bit of a breather, and there was Sterling on that side as well. And I can hear him breathing. He was really breathing heavy, sucking yep. them in. And next thing, he'd take off to the open side because the team was make look like they're going to make a break. Sure enough, he'd be over there making the tackle on the next the next player. And I'm thinking, I just don't know how you could do it, you know. And and that was the type of player he was, and always thinking ahead. And and he could read the game really well. And and uh, yeah, it was he's just one of the greats of, of the game. Mate, you were very different footballers yourself and Peter Sterling, but as a combination. You complimented each other, I thought. Do you agree? Yeah, but yeah, it was, and it was one of those things. I guess we, you know, we um, 
I guess you'd say we didn't rehearse a lot of things, you know. Yep. But, but I guess because we, we played alongside each other for long periods of time, we sort of got to know each other's – it was like an instinct. We knew yep. – like Sterlach could have the ball in his hand and start drifting across the field and he'd be looking at the defence and then at the same time he sort of worked – he could tell what I was going to start coming back inside. Then he'd turn and look and sure enough he'd, he'd slip the past him, he'd yep. coming back inside him and – we just seemed to have that knack of knowing which yeah. where we were going, what we were going to do, and uh, even at times he'd put a little grubber kick through, and um, either he'd get it or if he didn't get it, I was close enough to get the ball. And uh, a lot of times, I think he he looked to see where I was on the field on the fifth tackle, yeah, and say, "Well, there's no kick it to that side because he's got more chance of getting up above everyone else than anyone else does." And I mean, we that's knew one. Eric wasn't jumping. <laughs> <laughs> we knew Eric probably wouldn't even be there. He'd be back telling someone he'd lost his shoelace, was undone or something, and he had to do it up. But Poor Eric. And that was one of the things, you know, with and – and I guess, look, you know, we spoke about how how good the side was and here we are now, you know, I guess taking the piss out of Eric yeah. Great. But we did that with each other all the That's time. Exactly Everyone right. in the team did it. And and um, I remember talking to Dave Lydiard a couple of weeks ago and mentioned to him, you know, saying, you know what, as, as soon as we all stop taking the piss out of each other, you know, we're in a bit of trouble. Yeah, we, something's it, off. Something's wrong. And but yeah, Sterlo, he just he's just phenomenal. And and um, yeah, I, I often think about, you know, they talk about immortals, and I people saying to me, oh, you know, you should be an immortal. And I think, well, I think Sterlo, you know, deserves to be one just as much as me. He's he's certainly got plenty of supporters, as do you. Back to the three premierships. A couple of years later, you'd win number four in 1986, a 4-2 win over the amazing Bulldogs side. To be able to send out Mick Cronin and Ray Price with a premiership fairy tale, how special was that to the playing group? Well, I think that was the biggest thing. It, yep. wasn't, it wasn't winning the, the premiership. It, it, it didn't mean as much to us. We'd already won three, three. before. We'd... we'd, we'd um, We'd played in, played in five. This well, this was going to be our fifth grand yeah. final. So winning the, I mean, yes, it's nice to win, but yeah. I think, I think on everyone's mind was this: is, we got, we've got to win this for these two guys, mm. you know, for Mick Crown and Ray Price, and and um, and I and I think back then too, if you remember, the Crow had an eye injury and and was out for a majority of the season, and, and a rib injury on his comeback game, and wasn't his, it? Yeah, 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 and and so. A lot of the guys, myself, Eric, Sterlo, Steve Ella, you know, we, especially Zip and myself, because we were mostly around the crowd yeah. most of the time, we sort of said, you know what, it's about time. We think we believed that we'd had enough experience now. We've yeah. been playing first grade for a while. We've gone on and we'd all played for Australia. We thought it's about time we started looking after him instead of him looking after us. And, and it was great when he came back, you know, and, and started playing. And, and again, you know, we talk about how everyone got on well together and just take the piss yeah. out of each other. Well, we used to say to him, I think it was his left eye. Yes. <laughs> so, and I'll throw it across past you and let Zip get it. He can throw it back to you. At least you'll see it then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we, so we used to do things like that. But, uh, it was, you know, him and Pricey, you know, were such a big part of our team and, and, yep. and they both had done a lot for us younger guys, mm. especially early on in, in the piece and, and um, so it was just a great way to send them off. I mean, everyone would love to be able to finish their career winning oh, a premiership, yeah. but uh, it was something very special. As I said, from, from our – well, I guess I can only speak from my 
my point of view, but I think I'm pretty sure most of the other guys would agree it wasn't winning the grand final, it was winning it for Mick and, and yeah. Pricey. On part three of the Brett Kenny story, we talk about life after football and the reaction to the news he had cancer. Before you go, we'd love a five-star rating and review on the app you're currently listening on as we continue to spread the word about the Unfiltered Podcast. Make sure you come back soon, legends. Legends.